Welcome to Impact Ed with Aleaf ISD. I am H.D. Chambers, the superintendent, and uh, today I'm being joined by two principals, two leaders in our school district, uh, Ms. Robin Human with 20 year, or 19 years of experience as a principal, and Ms. Joanna Sanchez, who's in her second year. So obviously between these two ladies, uh, there's been some changes and some differences of, of leadership styles and, and, and the actual types of campuses and the, the issues that, that they face every single day has changed. So we're going to have a conversation with these two these two leaders in our district, and uh, we hope at the end of this conversation that, that one, you understand the complexities of, of what it takes to lead a campus, but also what, uh, what, these, uh, what these ladies are dealing with on a daily basis and how that has changed over time. So welcome, ladies. I'll, I'll start with you, you. Robin. Uh, Joanna, thank you for being here. You bet. You bet. So I'm going to start with Robin, and I'm going to kind of lay out this question, and it can go in whatever direction. Uh, but over 19 years, that's a long, that's a long time to. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> to to be in a, a position of responsibility of of of, of uh, people's children. Uh, in your mind, what what's what's been the biggest changes that you've noticed going back 19 years compared to where we are today? Well, and I was reflecting on that and thought, wow, what hasn't changed? It's it's um, definitely many things that aren't anything like they were 19 years ago when I took over the principalship at Heflin. Um, so, you know, there have been a, a couple of main things, I believe. Uh, first of all, just within our community, the changes in our community. You know, and I've been in Ailey for 39 years, so I've been here, you know, as a lot of this area of the city has evolved over time. And in the years that I've been at Heflin, our community has changed dramatically. When I first came to Heflin, we had less than 30 percent of our children qualifying for the federal meal program. We're now at 87 percent. So that brings challenges in and of itself because you have kids coming into school with with more needs. Uh, We're having to meet a lot of social and emotional needs, um, along with the academics that we're charged with with imparting. And then during that time as well, with the move towards increasing accountability, increasing, you know, raising standards, all the attention that's been given to public schools needing to step up uh, and and raise their expectations and, and raise the um, the out, outlook or output and results for kids, um, those, you know, those things coinciding have have made the job exponentially more challenging. Have you have you on the accountability issue just the the the, the pressure or the stress that comes along with being held accountable for children who come to you from all kinds of challenging backgrounds. Mm-hmm. How how has that changed your the the way you approach leadership, the way you approach teachers, the 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 the, the handling of the day to day leadership of a campus has that has that impacted you? I think in in some respects, uh, no, because I've always felt that the way to get through to kids is to get to the teachers. We can't impact. I, by myself, cannot impact each and every kid all day long, every day, unless I'm making sure that they have 
exceptional teachers in the classroom. So in the sense that it, it's, you know, I've always had that focus to uh, to make sure that the teachers have what they need to do their job. Um, it's just that the stress for everybody has increased. So now I find myself often having to filter, um, prioritize, you know, as all the changes come down the pipe. Um, you know, taking, figuring out, okay, what's the most important thing here? What do I need to take to the teachers first? And then when am I going to take the rest of it? So that the teachers don't become overwhelmed uh, and unnecessarily stressed as they're working to meet the needs of their kids and to ensure that they're uh, teaching them what they're supposed to be teaching. Yeah, you know, the 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 thing I think is most often heard by teachers, and, and you guys hear it far more often than I do because you're so close to it, is... Um, we've taken, because of the strict prescriptive accountability measures, we've kind of taken the art of teaching away. Uh, I mean, there's a, I mean, that one could argue there's an art to teaching to prepare a child for a test, right? There's there's an art to that. There's, but there's also an art to teaching kids on how to how to survive in the world. And sometimes mm-hmm. passing a test is not necessarily going to prepare them to survive in the world. Um, Joanna, so your your perspective is going to be a little different in terms of experience. So I can't ask you how was it 19 years ago. I think you may have been in the fourth grade back then. Right? I'll give you I'll give you a, a grade school answer on that one. <laughs> we'll we'll, uh, we'll slap her later, right? Robin? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, Joanna, talk, you're in your second year at Hearn Elementary as the leader of that campus. Uh, talk just a little bit what what. Um, what's been your biggest aha? What's what what what's the one thing that you you sit back and go, I was not prepared for that. And there may be a lot of those things, but what comes to mind? So as far as preparation goes, I, I love the job. You think about waking up every day and your dream job. This is this is it for me. Um, I am passionate about what I do every day, and I love making the impact. But going back to what has surprised me the most, the biggest aha is how connected we are to the community and how you are intertwined with the impact that you can make in your school's community and in your district's community. Um, I I think about how whenever situations happen, you are the, you're the face. You are the face and you're who people go to uh, to find support. Uh, Robin, you were just talking about how things are coming down the pipeline and, you know, filtering and finding priorities. And I think that is the true aha. It's how you have to find a, a good space and a, a centered space so that you can prioritize as a leader mm-hmm. um, so that everybody in your building can get that information succinctly, efficiently, mm-hmm. but without that feeling of being overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. So the biggest aha is just really focusing on people. Uh, it's not about the programs. Those things are going to change, but it's the people that are going to remain the same. And truly, inspiring the passion within them so that the work mm-hmm. can be done. Um, and that's an art. That's mm-hmm. an art. It's not something that you, you know, uh, are going to master in the first experience. So, so has the people changed? Yes and no. I do think, um, you know, people are always people. They're, you know, people get angry, people get sad, uh, people get happy, excited. Um, they they seek relationships. They They want, you know, for the most part, especially in our business, it's a people business. So people come to education because they want to make a difference to other people. Um, 
you know, of course, things that are external, I guess, have changed. The advances of technology, you know, we, we talk about the, the differences in generations and, and what drives each generation. There are some differences when you look at, you know, people my age compared to, you know, people who are new college graduates coming out uh, in terms of perspective. But when it boils right down to it, relationships are still relationships, and that's where the most time needs to be spent in developing those and really helping people reach their potential, whether it's the grown-ups or the kids. Joanna, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, I think people are the same. I think the expectations are different. I think the expectations of people are, have changed um, in the sense of a school is is the, is the, the beacon. Schools are beacons. So do you think, Joanna, do you think the expectations of students have changed? And you can go back to when you were in school versus what you're doing right now as a as your profession. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I have a daughter, um, and I just look at her and what she needs to be able to do by the time she is my age. You know, the expectations are different. I think we're preparing kids for the generation ahead, not the generation that just came behind. And even looking at myself, I know that I have to be intentional about that because in ten years from now, with the rate of speed that we are uh, developing and innovating as a culture, uh, we have to keep up because our kids need the skills to be successful later on. Um, and it starts with what we do in our buildings. So the expectation is just different. And that's what, that's what leads to longevity and tenure within this profession, too, is that ability to adapt and take in what's changing and, and fit it all together. You don't want to throw out what's been working from the past if it's still working and still relevant. But at the same time, you can't stay there because the world around us is changing rapidly. So let's talk about kids for a second. Because uh, we are in the kid business, right? Right. <laughs> Probably should spend some time on them. But I, but this notion of working through adults to get to kids. Mm-hmm. Um, have you have you noticed in your in your short time as a as a principal certain styles that you have as a that you've developed? You didn't know you had them because you've never really led. They just they just kind of come to you, right? It's kind of a <laughs> necessity in some case. At least it was with me. Um, but what what types of styles have you noticed that actually teachers respond to? As or, a leader? As a leader. Compassion, understanding, um, being honest, good or bad, mm-hmm. being trustworthy, um, being a... Being a, a leader's leader in the sense of you have to know what you're saying and, and stand behind that. Your actions should match what you're saying. Um, and just knowing that no job and no task is too big, that you wouldn't put yourself in that. If you're asking someone else to do it, you got to be able to do that as well because that's what a team is, and that's how a team succeeds. You work with each other. So as far as leadership style, I think just being genuine, being who you are, don't change. Like That's, that's who you are because it's hard to fake it, right? Be who you are. Lead with compassion. Um, lead with understanding that there is a lot going on, uh, but just staying steadfast and just knowing what we have to do at the end of the day. We're going to do it together as a team. Robin, have you found over the years that your relationship with teachers have changed as a leader? Is there, is there? I think as a leader now, I'm more purposeful in some of the things that I do because they've been better defined than they were at one point. Um, you know, I was <laughs> thinking back, even when I 
uh, started as an assistant principal, and then you know, even my first years as a principal, my evaluation was a one-page document, and it was single lines and a single rating at the end. Now we have, you know, a what is it, five to six-page document with eight, rubrics eight, with eight, very eight. eight thank you. Who's <laughs> <laughs> counting? Yeah, who's counting? Um, with with a very detailed and very specific rubric with all of the, and the same is true for teachers when we look at, at what we hold a teachers accountable for. Um, so I, I think that, you know, I agree with what Joanna was saying about the importance of, of the people skills. Um, if you don't have the people skills, then getting all those details of performance, you know, in line or, are you know, are, are just not going to work. So you have to you have to win the people. You have to show them that you care. You have to listen, like Joanna was saying. You have to be ready to do anything you would ask them to do. And when you build that that kind of uh, trust and and connection with them, then the specific details will come along. I, th- I think we all have. We've all had people that we aspire to lead like. Mm-hmm. You know. And there may be multiple people, could be people you never met, just who you think you would like to lead like. Mm-hmm. And I always attempt to, to talk to young, aspiring principals, aspiring leaders, uh, to just picture who that person is and what does he or she do? What are one or two things they do? Mm-hmm. And you try to copy those two things. Mm-hmm. Just, I mean, it's, uh, it's not right. that complicated, right? It's, no. it's what what would instill you to follow? Yeah, and I think that's that's part of the the challenge that we face all the time is how to keep it simple. You know, what are the what are the main things? What are the big ideas? You know, what's the the main thing? As you you like to remind us all the time, um, because if we try to do it all. You know, at the same level, exactly. it's just not going to work, or you'll burn yourself out completely trying yeah. to do that. And I think you bring up a good point: is that we can't do it all. Right. <clears throat> As the principal, you can't do it all, and you have to really um, harness the power of the people around you, right? And the skills that you may not have innately yourself, absolutely, pull those out of others so that together there's strength. And that's that teamwork that you were talking about. I mean, I, I joke with my, my staff and my instructional leaders all the time because there are things that I know I'm not the strongest in, and so I need them to help with that part of it. And then, you know, together, you know, the what is it, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts? That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's exactly how we how we proceed day to day. Yeah. You, there's all kinds of metaphors and sayings about that, and it had, that part of it has not changed. Right. right? Exactly. The whole nope. weakest link in the chain, I mean, that... That part has never changed. Never That's will change. No, nope. no matter who you are. Um, I want to. I want to. I'm actually interested in this, and I don't know that I even gave y'all. This conversation has prompted another question that I didn't even put on this little sheet. So let's. Okay. So let's. I want to talk about the perception of the principal, the public perception of the of the principalship, and you can obviously think about your own experience, but think about it in general as as a as a leader. Um, there are those out there who talk at length about how public education as an, as an institution has become under attack. Some would argue it's not under attack. They were just were being held accountable for and, – and, and so I don't necessarily want to get into that unless you want to. But I'm more interested in your, your response to this idea of how, 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 do you, how do you want people to perceive the principalship, not you personally – 
but the leader of a campus, the leader of children, the leader of, of, of uh, adults on their campus. Um, how would you want the, how do you want that role to be perceived? I think that, um, you know, one of the things is that, you know, just recognizing the complexity of the responsibilities that a principal carries and knowing that it is a profession, it's not a job. Uh, we are charged with, you know, on any, any day, I'm responsible for almost a thousand people on my campus between the students and the adults. And then when you add in the parents beyond that, it you know, that number rapidly doubles or triples. So it's it's a it's a profession. Uh, people come to this profession because they want to make a difference. Uh, it's not just a job. It's not just a manager. It is a leader. Uh, sure, there are things that we have to do that are, you know, could fall just under the management side, which, you know, is uh, things like making sure your budget stays balanced, making yeah, little, sure, little like you that. know, <laughs> making sure that the building is functioning properly, the door locks all work, you know, <laughs> those, those kinds of things are there as well. But it's, it's the minute-to-minute -minute decisions that have to be made that impact the well-being of the people under your care. And I think just if the public could see that and know that, I think that principals and teachers, all of us in education, would be held in higher regard than we sometimes are. So she took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say everything, everything that you just said. I, the only piece I would add to that would be just that we're people, too. Mm -hmm. And I say that often. Uh, it's like kids think that teachers live at school, right? Uh, and extend that, you know, metaphor. Teachers, you know, they see principals just in everything. We have to do so much. But we also are people. And mm -hmm. we also have a life outside of that role. And so understanding that we bring that perspective also into that role to shape what's happening in our buildings. Um, and that there needs to be that balance. Mm -hmm. There needs to be the balance of who you are um, so that your family gets the best of mm -hmm. who you are as well, in addition to the demands and the expectations set forth in that building. So um, the perception right. should be that we are making change in a building to, to, to support our kids and our staff members, but we also are people too. We have feelings. Um, we send our we own kids to school. Yeah. <laughs> we send our yes. own kids yeah. to school and expect the same that we're returning. So, yes. so y'all both heard this, um, and it struck me. The, my very first year here, we had a convocation, and uh, the the speaker made a suggestion to every principal was to go to your local churches and get up for 30 seconds and, and tell them, we love your children and sit down. So do you think do you think the public believes we love their children? I, I, I got a chance to talk to two churches um, in the last year and a half, uh, and they do. They, they do believe that we, we love their kids. Um, I think there's maybe a few people out there who maybe had a bad experience in a mm -hmm. school for whatever that reason may be. And for those people that are listening, I say come back. Uh, go back to that school and meet with someone else because I guarantee you there's not a there's not a person in a school setting that truly wants to harm mm -hmm. a student or not help that student grow. I, I, mm -hmm. I in my building I see it every day. They are it's amazing the talent that's in the mm -hmm. building and what the passion teachers bring in. Um, 
But I do think that they they believe that we love their kids and that mm-hmm. we are doing what's necessary. And, and that's sh- that's shown. And when they come to our when our parents and our families come to our buildings mm-hmm. uh, or they'll ask you, how do I help with this or what can I do for this? They trust us. And we have to take that 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 level of trust you know, mm-hmm. seriously and, mm-hmm. and, and preserve it and protect it because we are their, their chance, their child's chance to make the next generation better. I agree. Um, And again, I I think seeing it in the faces and the the comments, even social media now, you know, the the comments back, the things that teachers share when they're hearing things. And occasionally I'll I'll still get an email or a, a contact from somebody who was a student long ago saying, just wanted to see, you know, is so-and-so still there, so-and-so still there? Uh, I have great memories. Or they'll come in person and visit. Or I've even hired teachers who were former Heflin students. (laughs) 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 And so, you know, they're coming back to a place that they had good memories from. And I believe, I, I agree with Johanna, there are going to be some that have a, you know, a different kind of experience. And sometimes that's really nothing to do with whatever happened at our particular school, it may fit within their frame of reference. But we certainly do everything we can to try to correct that perception if they feel like, you know, their children aren't being cared for. I I don't know if you ever sit back and think about this, but just for one second, think about the, the awesome responsibility that not just parents, but society has placed on your shoulders. I mean, you, the, if you stopped and thought about it for a second, it's scary to death that, right. that, you, that, that you are literally responsible for the safety and the well-being of every little boy, every little girl in your school, every adult mm-hmm. in your school. And oh, by the way, we're supposed to teach them something. Right. Right. <laughs> and what we're expected to teach them has grown exponentially over the last hundred years. Do you ever sit back and think about that? Is about just how much, oh, and this is something that, you know, we prepared, we prepared principals to be what we used to call instructional leaders. I'm not sure what we call them, but you know, you're, you're responsible for the, the academic, academic outcomes of Mm -hmm. students. And we would spend thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of dollars and hundreds of hours of time preparing ladies just like yourself. And then we had turned the keys over to a $25, $30 million operation <laughs> with very little training. Right. Whether it be budget or physical plan. But just comment, if you don't mind, on this awesomeness of the responsibility. And do you ever think about it? And do you just what goes through your mind when you think about it, Robin? Yes. Um, it's definitely not a job for the faint of heart <laughs> uh, because you do, you carry that weight. And sometimes I literally feel it in my shoulders and my neck muscles by the time I'm heading home. It's, it is an awesome responsibility, but it's an awesome privilege at the same time to realize that you are impacting the future. It's a pay it forward kind of situation. You know, what we're investing in our kids and our teachers now uh, is going to have a ripple effect out into a much larger community. Who knows where they'll end up? Who knows where they will be? If you think about it, everybody who's ever done something important had to go to school at some point. Might have, you know, school in different kinds, but there have been many, many, many of them who've come out of public education and have gone on to have a, a dramatic impact on 
a very wide community. So it is. It's a it's a big responsibility. Um, but we, you know, I, I, I think about that sometimes. I reflect on it. But then I come right back to who are the kids in my building today? Here's, you know, we're coming in new. It's a fresh start. Yesterday was yesterday. Today is today. You know, what, what difference can we make today? And I'm going to say, thanks, Robin. <laughs> okay, thanks. Let me. You're paying it forward for me because 19 years later, it's the same sentiment, and I, and I appreciate that, right? Because you asked, do I stop and think about that? That's what keeps me up at night. Um, having a thousand kids in a building, uh, I have 964, uh, and you know, 120 on staff, and. Yeah. Um, that that it's that does that does keep you up exactly. at night in a good way though right because we want to be the best right for absolutely our staff and for our kids and for right. our families and so the part that keeps you up at night is, is the privilege and the honor right mm-hmm. and it's that we're proud to serve in the capacity that we can right um, absolutely and that we can do what is needed for our kids and for our staff members right. so um, yeah we, I think about it all the time. All the time. Yeah, you'd be, you wouldn't be, uh, you wouldn't be human. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's all right. I'm, to think of I'm used to those. <laughs> and that was not intentional. I, I know. It's okay. You wouldn't be normal. It goes with the name. <laughs> All right, we may have to edit that one. Out. <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> or a blooper. For a blooper, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll, uh, we'll let Robin take it's part that of one the reality. Home. That's exactly right. <laughs> but no, I, I don't think it'd be natural. It wouldn't be. You wouldn't be natural if it didn't bother you or did not bother you but you didn't think about it or right. keep you up at, keep you up at night yeah. I, I think about um just kind of the way i look at principles or people that people that assume responsibility jobs that have responsibilities like like what you guys do and i heard someone and i can't recall who it was but someone said the difference between great professional athletes and really 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 good professional athletes are the great ones are the ones who want the ball for the last shot or they, if they're in baseball, they want you to hit them the ball to make the last out. Or in football, give me the ball. I want it with one minute left, and we're losing about three points. Principles are like that. I mean, give me the responsibility. Give mm-hmm. me that pressure. Because mm-hmm. not everyone – There's all, the vast majority of our population or of society will shy away from that responsibility. They, right. don't, they don't want it. Did you grow up that way? I mean, was that were you the kid that wanted the responsibility regardless of what it was, or did you grow into that? I did. You did? Yeah. I see I didn't. I I probably grew into it. I was always competitive though. And then I would compete against myself. Um and and I grew up in a family where we were always expected to do our best. You know, it wasn't it wasn't okay to slide by or or settle for something. So but as far as, you know, having that responsibility for a larger group and so forth, no, I think I grew into it. So I did leadership in, like, high school and also in college. and um, That does not surprise me. <laughs> I know. <laughs> does not surprise me. Well, You're okay. probably president of your pre-K student <laughs> council probably, right? You know what? If that was a position back then, I probably would have gone for it. Um, but I, too, grew up in a household with very high expectations. And it was just if you're going to do something, don't do it at 90. Right. Do it at 100. Because if you are committing to doing it, then give it your 100% effort. Right. Um, 
So I am competitive as well. My staff would probably laugh because I like to win. Uh, <laughs> hey, if we're ever competing <laughs> against each other, yeah. that would be fun. I hear a challenge coming up. There you go. Um, but just, just that responsibility, yeah, you know, it, 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 if you have it within you to do something and to uh, make something great, go for it. And if you have the talents and the abilities and the capabilities, go for it. And the and the and the confidence mm-hmm. to suffer setbacks or to overcome right. barriers or to admit mistakes or to admit or mistakes. Yes. Uh, yes, that's that's one thing. Deal I th- with conflict or whatever. Absolutely. the unpleasant part is. And I think that's the part that you know that's not always talked about. The perception that's not the part that always shines sometimes. But we have to do it. Right. Uh, you have to you have to do what other people may not want to do. Well, it's like my dad told me one time, you did apply for that job, didn't you? Right, exactly. Said, yeah, actually, I was griping about something. He goes, did, did they beg you to take it? No, actually, I applied for it. Right. And I, I think sometimes it's the impact of mentors along the way. You know, I said I grew into it. It wasn't something I originally set out to do. It wasn't in my career path, you know, when I first became a teacher. But I had mentors along the way that saw something in me, you know, and I had some of that natural leader uh, in me as well, and so they were, encouraged me and gave me opportunities, and I took full advantage of that. Well, you're one of there's 26 million people live in the state of Texas. There are a little less than 9,000 schools, so you're only one of 8,700 people in this in the entire state of Texas that does what you do. So, when you look at it and put it in perspective of population versus who is who has risen to the to the positions you and your colleagues across the state of Texas um, yeah that's that's 8700 individuals taking on the responsibility of 5.4 million children and 705,000 adults and and you know we don't think of it that way people don't but that's that's the reality of it um, I want to pivot just a little bit uh, and I want to go to um, your educators, first and foremost, right? Your teacher. Yes. I mean, most of we're, we're, uh, you could be. I look at myself as a teacher. I'm under no right. illusion that I. I'm under no illusion that I know what a teacher goes through today. I haven't been in the classroom in a long time, so I'm not. I don't pretend. Uh, but I look at myself as a teacher, and sometimes mm-hmm. I get, it gets me in trouble because I'm using my bully pulpit in this role to teach someone who may not want to be taught by. You know what I'm talking about. So, <laughs> so I have to measure that sometime. But as an educator, in looking at what we're expecting of of children today academically, and and and, and I'm including the assessment system that the state of Texas in, requires. I'm including the accountability system. Uh, I'd like for you to to talk a little bit from your professional educator's perspective. What's good about it? What's wrong about it do you i mean just give me your your opinion on that and are we achieving the desired outcomes for our kids as we uh, as we look here not just in Ailey ISD you're not just at Heflin or at Hearn but in the state of Texas so uh, who wants to take that one on well I'll start um I, I on the good side of it I do think it we have to be accountable for what we're doing. I mean, we hold a great responsibility. So we should not be at all offended or um, put off by people wanting to know that what we're doing is accomplishing the results that it's supposed to accomplish. It's just like if you're a money manager, you have to be accountable for the funds that you're entrusted with, and we do that too as part of our job. But 
when you're talking about children and their and their education, and especially at our level where we're laying the foundation, you know, we're responsible for making sure that foundation is as strong as it can possibly be so that the next levels can build upon that. So that accountability is necessary. Um, but the thing that makes it complicated for us and, and makes it a little bit of a negative thing is that we don't control all the variables that affect a child's success. So to be held accountable for the results without being able to control all the variables can be a source of, of great frustration, um, a source of discouragement for teachers and for principals as well. When we know that we're, st we're expected to get all our kids to standards, just like a child coming from a very different environment is expected to. And so we have, you know, we, it is what it is, though, and we just need to accept that and accept the responsibility of the accountability system and work within that system to make good things happen for kids. And I think the only thing I would add to that would just be it's beyond the accountability system and just really peeling back the layers of what schools are really doing for kids. Um, it, it, yes, a score is a score. And I like the system because it's it's fair um, mm -hmm. considering where your kids are and what, what what they're expected to do. And now it's looking at all kids, not just select group mm -hmm. of kids, right? So all kids have to grow. But really peeling back the layers of what's happening in the building. There are other ways that we are supporting our families and our kids um, and using that, which is our local accountability system, which I think will allow for that to shine um, where schools can show, you know, yeah, it, this may be this compartment or this piece of it, but look at all the ways that we impact not just the kids in our building, but their families um, and their siblings and their cousins and their friends um, in the community that we serve. So, so talk about that a little bit, the, the local accountability system. Mm -hmm. what, what are the other things? I mean, because right now, just for those that are not that are listening that don't realize it, your campuses are, are labeled based on a standardized test score. Right. So it's a, it's a kid sitting down with a test and to see how much they know. On one or two days um, out of the school year. Right. So and that's how your that's how your school is right. judged. If you were queen for the day, what would you include in that? And it may be some things that are in your your local system, your local accountability system now, but for this audience, what are what are things in addition to a test score that you think would be fair and reasonable mm -hmm. to make these judgments about schools and yeah, I think enrichment, uh, enrichment opportunities for kids and their families to participate in. And by that meaning, um, one of the great programs that we have is Parenting Partners. And it really it has parents come in in the evenings so that they can learn about how to be a parent. So that class, so in looking at the enrollment there, um, we have AVID on our campus. So, uh, you know, how are we preparing our kids for college and career readiness after the fact? So tell people what AVID is because someone's going to listen to this. <laughs> Advancement via individual determination. So it's really taking your school-wide systems, uh, putting it, taking what you're already doing, putting it into a clear system, a clear track for kids so that they can be um, organized, they can be ready, they are exposed to how to take notes, how to, how to be a student so that they can be successful when they get to college. Um, looking at what clubs are, off, are offered on your campus. Uh, 
being an adult, we know that how often are we tested as adults? It's not, we don't really get tests, but our true assessment is how do we interact with others? Mm-hmm. So those clubs and those social opportunities for uh, our kids to participate in and show what they know, uh, our STEM programs, uh, students who are taking the math and the science and you know the arts and the engineering, putting that into practice. So just looking at what our school's doing, and those are just a few examples. I mean, I can, there's a list of like 100 things. Um, but what are kids doing in the building beyond those two days? Because we have school 187 days. So what's happening elsewhere? Robin? And yes, I, I agree. And we have, you know, very similar uh, types of things as well. And I think it's it's the opportunity through that local accountability piece of our, our accountable or accountability system at the state level to show those things that aren't reflected on a test, um, the things that develop the socio-emotional skills, uh, the things that develop the thinking skills so that, you know, when kids uh, get out of secondary school, they are ready to solve problems, they're ready to collaborate with others, they're ready to do all kinds of things that you don't see reflected in a math score, a reading score, writing, science, social studies. How much does the current system drive your behavior? In other words, does it drive you to make decisions that you otherwise perhaps wouldn't make uh, as it relates to teacher prep, uh, professional development, as it relates, uh, just any facet of your campus and what you do, does it does it drive you to make decisions? You you go, well, that's probably not in the best interest of kids or I think, teachers. I think we're aware of it. I think we have mm-hmm. to keep it at you know as a as an option, a factor, a fact, a variable to be considered. To use your yes, mm-hmm. but it's as far as whether that's the first thing I think about. No, um, I think about what makes for a well-rounded education, what are we expected to teach kids in terms of the essential knowledge and skills. You know, I do think that we need to teach the curriculum because those are the standards that have been established. But if we are doing a good job with that, the test will take care of itself. And that's always the approach that I've taken. We're not going to Uh, make a decision based solely on what we think the test scores will reflect. We're going to make decisions based on what's best for our kids to help them meet the standards that have been set. And then that should show up on in success on, on the tests. If, if, if you have a valid and reliable assessment, right? Right. And consistent, then you kind of know how to prepare. Right. Well, you kind of have to know what's going to be tested and how it's going to be tested. I mean, you you don't go into, you know, pro ball players don't go into a game not knowing what their outcome is supposed to be, not right. knowing what it's going to take right. in and, terms of and their having plays time to prepare and for it. having time to practice and all of those sorts of things. And they do practice what they're going right. to be doing on the field. So we do practice, but at the same time, we are not just teaching the test. Yeah. Good. Let's talk about um, perhaps the most, I don't know, uh, if you could call it the most serious issue, but it's, it, it's, the, it's the only thing that keeps me up at night. Test scores don't keep me up at night. Labels don't keep me up at night. Uh, board meetings don't keep me up at night. <laughs> but, but they keep me up late. <laughs> but I don't. Uh, but let's, let's talk about safety and security. Yeah. Which, you know, you... you if you don't get that right, then everything else we've talked about is going to suffer. Right. 
so four years ago in in Newtown, Connecticut, at Sandy Hook Elementary, there was a, as we all know, the the most <clears throat> excuse me, the largest mass shooting of an elementary school in the history mm-hmm. of the United States. Um, talk about, and you weren't a principal, Joanna. At that time, you weren't a principal, but you were in a leadership role. Talk about what went through your mind when you heard about that happening and how and how close it is in terms of the level of the school because that's very uncommon. We're used we're not mm-hmm. used, but we're more accustomed to it happening at a high school. What went through your mind, and then what were the things that you thought about as a principal that I need to do, like, tomorrow? Mm-hmm. I can't wait for some bond election, or I can't wait for the superintendent to give me permission. i got to do this mm-hmm. tomorrow. Talk about that, if you don't mind, and how, as a leader, you, mm-hmm. you led that. And I think that, you know, Sandy Hook, on top of Columbine, on top of, you know, 9-11, on top of all, you know, all of the other incidents um, that grabbed, certainly grabbed the attention of everyone, it was the the fact that our sense of security was shattered, or if not shattered, certainly shaken, because... Oh, my goodness, that happened in an elementary school. And then you realize they had security in place. They had a lot of the things that people say, well, if we just did that, you know, if we just had locked doors, if we just had this, that, and the other. Um, and it, and it, it caused me to examine my own environment and see where our points of vulnerability were and then to talk that through with my staff and to go back to the fact that you can have all the systems in the world, but the most effective deterrent is staff members, people who are cognizant of what's going on around them, are not um, hesitant about speaking up if they see something unusual, uh, and then doing whatever it takes to keep the little ones that we're responsible for as safe as possible. So, yes, it was it was quite... Um, nerve-rattling, but it also prompted that examination of where can we, where can we improve? And so we did, we talked about that as a staff. And the biggest thing that we could, could talk about was making sure that the systems we did have in place were operating faultlessly. Yeah, it it obviously, you you can't have a safe campus without your staff having Mm -hmm. a plan, knowing the plan, and being able to handle the plan, and God forbid, in in a situation like that. Right. Joanna, now you've had the opportunity to to react to what happened in Parkland and to what what happened in Santa Fe. Well, both of y'all did, but talk about how, as a leader, how did that strike you? What were the things that went through your mind at that point? Sure. I I just think safety is not, you don't get a day off on safety. I mean, we're out of the building right now, and in my mind, I think about the safety of the kids from the arrival all the way to dismissal. So in addition to talking it through with your staff, what we like to do is talk about those vulnerable times. Um, I'm not going to go into details with those, but those vulnerable times where everybody's out. What happens? And so even th- looking at last year and going into this year, we really asked those deep questions of what would happen if? Mm-hmm. And talking it out because part of that preparation and not having those days off is that everybody kind of walks through it because we all have to know the, the why behind what we're doing. Why are we doing this? When we do lockdown drills, when we do fire drills, what's the why? So that when we hope that we never have to use that, but we have a plan in place. We know what to do so that you don't have to worry about that uh, hazy that hazy location or, you know, understanding of what needs to happen next. Um, For me, I just I I always be vigilant. 
that's the best mm-hmm. way. Be around. Uh, as a leader, I'm always around. I'm in the hallways. I'm around in the front of the buildings. Sometimes just walk outside. Just be aware of your surroundings. And I use that in my personal life as well. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, yes, these things happen in schools, but they also happen in the public. Mm-hmm. And so right. the things that you can learn um, not only are going to protect you in a school setting, but it can protect you outside of the school settings as well. Well, look at what happened yesterday in Pittsburgh. Exactly you know, right. Who would have ever thought that someone would go in and shoot up a church like in Sutherland Springs or a, a, a synagogue as in Pittsburgh? You know, that whole sense of security has been shaken, and we can never say never. That would never happen here. No, we, we can't approach it that way at all. Uh, but at the same time, we have to balance it with not living in fear. Correct. Because... You know, and that's where that preparedness and maintaining vigilance, maintaining, um, you know, that that observation and, and ensuring that systems are working as they're supposed to be, I think, allows us to be able to balance it so that, you know, because, you know, schools don't need to be prisons, mm-hmm. but they do need to be safe places. So how how can we ensure that we're still a friendly, welcoming place while at the same time putting some safeguards in place? And then being able to explain the why to the public as well. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to have the disgruntled parent that thinks it's just too much to have to go, you know, spend 30 extra seconds to to go, you know, be buzzed in through a locked door and present their ID to be scanned in. But, you know, when you put it in the perspective of it's a safety measure, we're trying to ensure the safety of your child as well as everybody else. So then it usually, that usually backs it down. Yeah. In today's world, I think most people, most reasonable people, parents and others, uh, if your safety measures are reasonable, they mm-hmm. they understand. I mean, right. you know, we we've gotten used to the airports. I remember we used to fly. I didn't have to go through all the right the issues we go through now. And nine eleven changed that entire right. that entire. So, uh, or going into a sporting event or to a large event, getting wanded or going through a metal detector. I think we've kind of come to accept that. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but mm-hmm. as a society, we adapt. And I think right. as parents, uh, I adapted when my kids were going through the schools. You know, your children right. adapted. We we all adapt. Um, we're going to wrap this up, but before we do, I want to I want to give you an opportunity to to um, I don't know. Leave the listener, whether the listener is a colleague of yours or a parent living out of the state of Texas. But what is it you would like for them to know about the principal? And again. You're speaking on behalf in this district of 47, 48 principals, but you're also speaking on behalf of 8,700 across the state of Texas. What, what, what do you want the general population to know about the principal? Because I'm going to tell you what I think after y'all are through. Okay. Because uh, of some things you've said that just been extremely enlightening. But I'd like for you to know, what, what do you want them to know? Jo- Joanna, why don't you start and I'll go with Thanks. <laughs> Okay, so for me, I think that the being a principal um, is that we we need we need your support, but beyond your resources, it's it's more than just resources. Uh, you talked to Dr. Kleinberg uh, last week, and one of the things that I heard him say was, uh, "We need to create a learning." society. And part of a learning society is that it's not just in the schools. We need our communities and our environments to speak and to promote what we want our kids to be. Um, And so if I'm driving down the street, I would love for businesses and family members to not only support our campuses, but also show that pride um, so that kids are learning as they are in the environment. Um, 
I think that it needs to start at birth. And by it, it needs to be education. It needs to start at a young age. Um, students need to know the basics by the time they make it to school. And by basics, we're talking numbers, we're talking letters, but we need support. And we need support of parents. We need the support of our community members. We need support from each other. We need to let. We need to rely on each other, depend on each other, uh, and just really going back to the notion of it takes a village. Schools can't do it alone. Uh, we can't. We can't. We need every single stakeholder, teachers included, um, community members, churches, uh, legal offices, law. You know, the state, the government, the federal government, to just know that we can't do it alone. We, we need help. And it's beyond just monetary resources. It's opportunities that they can provide for our kids as well. Robin? The monetary resources are important. They are too. good. <laughs> they are good. And the biggest reason is because it takes money to have people. And people are what make the biggest difference. You know, I, I am very cognizant of the fact that my probably my biggest responsibility and my most important job is hiring the right teachers, making sure that that I select people that will do a great job for kids because they're going to be with those kids far more than I am. So part of that is being able to compensate them, being able to uh, be sure you have enough. You know, it, it, you know our, our people cost is our, our biggest expenditure. And so I think we, we need to keep that in mind and just, you know, it does cost money to run schools. It does cost money to have effective schools. There's nothing, you know, we can't take that away. But beyond the money, it's the dedication of the people. You know, people that are in this profession for the right reasons, they don't look at their bottom line. That's not their main motivation for coming into education. If somebody comes into education with that as their motivation, they usually don't last because it's exposed. <laughs> it's yes, because there's so many um, pieces, there's so many things to put together. It's a highly complex job. The perception of the public is that, oh, it's you know that's that's easy. You go work with. You know, yeah, 22 kids, no problem. Um, you know, 22 kids where half of them may come to school hungry, no problem. You know, you guys just, you get those long summer breaks. You get all those holidays during the year. Well, not really because, right. you know, most um, educators, those that are are um, in it for the right reasons, live, eat, and breathe their profession because they've committed to it because of that desire to make a difference, not just now, but for the future as well. So I think just recognizing uh, what I'd want the public to really understand and value is the dedication of the people who've chosen this profession. I would agree. I would agree. Joanna, you mentioned earlier about a child coming to school ready to learn you know, kindergarten ready, school ready, whatever you want to call it. Um, one of the bigger policy discussions that's going to happen across the state of Texas in 2019's legislative session, legislative session, excuse me, is going to be pre-K. Mm -hmm. And whether the state of Texas should infuse another billion dollars or so to fund full day pre-K, because for those that are listening right now, they only fund enough of half. They only fund half of a day for a student to come. So if you're going to have a full day pre-K program, a school district has to figure out how to pay for the other, literally how to pay for the other half of the day. Um, we'll talk about the money. That's that's not what I'm talk, asking about. Um, what do you believe is the value in in a and let's, let's let's kind of put this in context a quality pre-K program. 
What do you what do you find as the academic, social, emotional value of a full day pre-K versus the half day that we currently have, Robin, in terms of preparing students to be kindergarten ready when they get ready to go to kindergarten? I think that with the standards the way they are and the, the way the standards have changed over the last however many years, and it looks like that it's going to continue to be that way, we keep uh, upping the ante, so to speak. We keep... Uh, taking standards from one grade level and moving them back to the previous grade level, which means that there's there's more and more importance for the beginning to address the basic skills. And a, a lot of what our kids come into school and are experiencing for the first time is that social environment where they're having to, you know, abide by a certain number of rules. They're having to follow a structured schedule. They're having to cooperatively play with kids, you know, uh, even in a play environment. They're having to sit and do some tasks. Um, and then sometimes they're not sitting, but they still have to be able to follow rules and do things like that. We used to be able to do a lot of that in kindergarten, when kindergarten was the beginning. Nowadays, the academic expectations in kindergarten are much higher. So one benefit of pre-K is that we can really work in that developmentally appropriate social training as well as some foundational academic skills like the the um, just knowing the basic alphabet being able to spell your own name yeah, being able to count yeah, yes you know skills. foundational kinds of things uh, the other thing is that there are children who still get that from private preschools. Um, they get that in their own homes, um, you know, if their parents have the time or take the time to go, th you know, do those kinds of things. But so many children don't have that anymore, and so their best place to get it is in public school. Mm -hmm. And I think that public school is an, is. is should evoke equality across the board and our uh, you just mentioned it at the end which is what I was going to say it's not everybody has that opportunity mm -hmm. to go to a daycare or a learning center that is going to have that focus on literacy because if you really think about it uh, I was like a third grader takes a star test at eight years old a pre-k student or if, if they didn't come to pre-k a five-year-old comes in at kindergarten mm -hmm. uh, and we have three years to teach them how to read Three years. And reading is not reading is not a strategy. It, it is a skill. And to learn a skill like with basketball or golf or, you know, with any skill, you ha it takes time. Mm -hmm. It takes mm -hmm. time to get it right. And so if you're only jumping in at, you know, kindergarten, it's it's going to give you uh, we want to we want to stay ahead of those gaps and we mm -hmm. want to fill them in and so the social play absolutely the social emotional growth for our kids absolutely mm -hmm. the routines the procedures so that we can get past the the compliance piece and let's mm -hmm. get to the learning because right. that's what we should be seeing in the classrooms right. and so um money is good i want to go back to that real quick yes <laughs> <laughs> money is definitely good uh, but all day pre-k would definitely help our kids to prepare right. especially our kids because we have a lot of Students who are English language learners. Right. English is not their dominant language. Right. So now you're taking a household who does not speak English as their dominant language, but now I need you to read in English so that in three years you can take the state assessment. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if, if that's our end goal, how can we prepare our kids for that? Mm -hmm. No, it's. And there are people, you know, who 
who would look at this issue and say, well, it's not my responsibility. That's the parent's responsibility. And, you know, why should I have to mm -hmm. pay for somebody else's kid yeah, to go it. to school? And I think that we have to keep in mind the benefit to society down the road because these kids that are come, are in our schools now are going to be the ones that are responsible when I'm too old <laughs> to, to, to do things for, you know, who do I want taking, you know, helping to care for me when I'm older? You know, who, how, what skills do I want them to be able to have? You know, so we all share in a society, you share responsibility for educating the children because they are the future of our society. Where do we want our society to go? I think most people don't realize that, you know, as a practical matter, 90 percent of our the human brain is developed between six months and about eight, nine years old. Mm -hmm. After that. There's very, I mean, we learn different concepts and we learn different things. Sometimes we forget them if we don't have to apply them. But this, this notion, uh, and both of you mentioned it, the, the notion of, uh, of a five-year-old show, showing up in kindergarten and already being in some, in some cases two, three grade levels behind a kindergartner, um, we're setting ourselves up as a society, not, not just to take care of you and I when we get older, but we're setting ourselves up to not prosper. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I know that can sound overly dramatic to put that much responsibility on a full-day pre-K program, but it, it is incumbent upon us for the population that's growing the fastest in our community and in the cross the state that's poor, non-English-speaking children. Mm -hmm. um, there, there has to be a, an investment in that, a recognition of that, an investment in that. And I was just interested in your in your beliefs on it from a purely, what are you getting when they come to kindergarten mm -hmm. without some type of early childhood? And, and you mm -hmm. said it very well. Uh, I want to wrap up and, and, and go back to this, you know, what I've listened to, and this has been my perception of the, particularly the elementary principal, whether they've been doing it 19 years or they've been doing it year and a half. Too strong. Too strong, too strong, <laughs> strong years. We count the year we're in. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, but I've, I've, uh, I never spent a day in my professional life in an elementary school. I raised kids and I was a parent of an elementary kid. And I walked into an elementary, my very first role in the central office and the very, I mean, the very first elementary school I walked in, they had a little crisis with a little second grader who just couldn't handle it. And I watched these three Ladies, principal, teacher, and I don't know who the other one was, all dressed nice in a dress and just, just dressed nice for work. And they're carrying that little boy out like a two-by-four. <laughs> and he's squirming, and they got him wrapped up in the in the constraint holes that they've been taught. And I just remember thinking, I would, I'd rather deal with a— 18-year-old, 300-pound high school kid in the middle of a fight <laughs> than to deal with a six-year-old that I can't reason with. Because you could, uh, even a 17, 18-year-old, you can you can reason with them sometimes, you know, even when they're 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 angry or they've lost their mind. Six-year-old, there's no reasoning with a six. <laughs> there's just grab on and hold on and and uh, let's get him some words so he doesn't hurt himself or hurt others. But what you guys do, uh, and this is, you know, if I had to answer the question, what what I want the public to know, it would be that they are, they have their y'all have your hands, not figuratively. You literally have your hands on, um, you know, the most sophisticated, scientific, technology-driven issue known to mankind, and that's the transference of knowledge between someone who knows something and someone who needs to know something. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, at the end of the day, that's what we're doing. We're transferring knowledge. We're transferring information. We're, and we're hoping that that transference takes place in a way in which that benefits the next time that person has to transfer the knowledge. I can't think of a more awesome responsibility. I mean, I can't, uh, you know, short of, I don't know, brain surgery, neurosurgery, where you're saving people's literally just serving, saving their lives. I can't think of anything more pressure-filled and more, more uh, stress-filled. So, yeah, if you wake up in the morning tired because you didn't sleep at night, you have a reason to. <laughs> you have a reason. You've earned, you, you've earned that. But I want to thank both of you uh, for taking the time to, to leave your school. And you mentioned it. it. It's a stretch to ask you to leave your school, and, and I appreciate you doing this. And we hope that this, this conversation benefits somebody. Uh, if not, it'll be good entertainment for the three of us. <laughs> so this is so too. Yes. Thank you thank for the opportunity. You yeah, bet. thank you. you Same bet. thing. This is awesome. Good. I enjoyed it. I'm good. We're we're doing this in a building in which high school kids are learning all kinds of skills and leading to other credentials and certifications at the A Leaf Center for Advanced Careers. So it's pretty and that's amazing. Pretty yes. nice, pretty nice. So this has been Impact Ed with H D Chambers and A Leaf ISD. I uh, hope you enjoyed it and we look forward to bringing you our next podcast. Take care. Thank you.